0: Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas-Hill. Our first Looking Ahead to 2020 episode. Last week, we kind of wrapped up, put a bow on the end of the 2019 season. Now, moving on, turning the page, looking ahead. There's not going to be another Ohio State football game for almost eight months, but there's still plenty to talk about. You're a hater of the spring game, I see. Lots to look ahead. Well, it's, it's a football game, but a, it doesn't actually count for score for results of the season so the the actual football season does not begin until September 5th I believe against Bowling Green.
1: I always do appreciate though on their official schedule on OhioStateBuckeyes.com they always list the spring game as a win so listen it's a result in their mind they like a little uh, they
0: like a they like a mid-April win so I guess I'll give it to them. Can't, can't lose the spring game everybody yeah, wins. The difficult. Game. And we'll be looking forward to the spring game because that'll give us something to talk about come April but for now it's January kind of turn of a page looking ahead to 2020 for the first time and we'll kind of on this show we'll do kind of a general overview of what to expect next year and some of the changes roster changes lineup changes that we could see coming next season we're also going to answer all the questions that you all submitted on 11warriors.com but we'll start with the news items of the past week and the biggest news of the past week Sean Wade announcing on Saturday that he will stay at Ohio State for another year. And this was kind of a one decision this year that everybody was anticipating. Thayer, Munford, and Wyatt Davis, and Josh Myers, they had all said before the Fiesta Bowl that they were going to come back for another year. Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, we assumed they were all going to go pro. Anyone else would have been a surprise. Sean Wade was kind of that one guy where it looked like he could go either way. And ultimately, he decided to come back Gets another chance to compete for a national championship. Doesn't have to end his career on a targeting injection that people are still going to be talking about for a long time. But, but realistically, this was a business decision. Sean Wade enters the draft this year. Maybe he's a late first-round pick. Maybe he's a second-round pick or a third-round pick. But I think by coming back next year, he gives himself a chance to solidify himself as that surefire first-round pick, just like Jeff Okuda did this year, just like Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore and Gary and Conley and Eli Apple, so many Ohio State corners have done in recent years, and certainly for Ohio State, it's an enormous boost as well.
1: There's no doubt, and if it's, you know, it's one of those decisions where it, there there are a lot of reasons either way that I think would have made sense. I mean, you mentioned the you mentioned the reasons about why he'd come back. But if you wanted to go pro, there were people who I think might have picked him in in the late first round. If not, it made sense to me that he would go latest in the second round, though Ari Wasserman and The Athletic reported that the NFL feedback from him, uh, the grade that they gave him, I think it's the advisory board. Yeah, the
0: NFL Draft Advisory Committee gives out grades. And to, to be clear for how this works, for those who don't know, they either give you a first round grade, a second round grade, or they don't or they, they they recommend that you go back to school they used to do it more specific they tightened up the process so it's really only first or second round now and they tend to go conservative typically they don't give out a lot of first and second round evaluations a lot of times those evaluations end up being low compared to where guys end up going but in sean's case they decided they, they were not going to stake their claim on him being a first or second round pick
1: yeah, and in, 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 in the story, it said that they had gotten third-round feedback. So I'm not sure if it was the third and below feedback or whatnot, but I right. imagine he would have gone the first two rounds. But, you know, it makes a lot of sense, like you said, for him to come back. He's somebody who, we, when he was in high school, he was rated as a cornerback behind only one player, and that player is going to go in the top five of the NFL draft in the spring. That's that Jeff Arcuta. Yeah, and he was also a top 20 overall prospect at of high school. Like, he's a guy who I think dating back then – You you viewed him as a potential first-round pick, uh, and and he's developed the way that you'd imagine any first-round pick to develop. Um, And it's interesting to me, I do think that – it's interesting the the turnover that that he's had to had to battle through, be just based on the defensive coaching staff changes. And even last year he had Terry Johnson. This year he has Jeff Halfley. There's a lot to go through. And then next year he'll have another he'll have another coach who I think a lot of people imagine will be Kerry Combs, and we can delve into that a little bit. And Combs
0: coached him his first year.
1: He did. He did. Um, and it would be a nice little bow to wrap him up there. But I think in his mind he's a first round pick, and and he's. He's put himself. He's put the team ahead of himself in last year, and in, in that he he was good enough to play on the outside, and he played nickel. And I think that probably hurt his draft stock a little bit, um, and, it, and it didn't get him as high as uh, evaluated as, as maybe he imagined that he he should be and coming back I think he really has a chance to solidify that
0: yeah I think that chance to move to outside cornerback is a big part of his decision for him he said as much in his announcement on Saturday because typically the cornerbacks who you see get drafted in the first round typically are guys who played on the outside now Sean I thought Sean played fantastic in that slot cornerback role especially this past year even a year before he had played pretty well in that role as well and the reality is I still think he would have been a high pick because that role has become so much more important. I think, you know, one thing to understand. I think people who watched Ohio State this past year probably understood this, but maybe the general population wouldn't. That even though he was the slot cornerback, he wasn't the number three cornerback for Ohio State. He was he was playing just as much as Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett were. And if, and if this had been a more traditional defense that had just two cornerbacks on the field in the base defense, I think you would have seen more of a rotation with Sean rotating in there, probably mostly with Damon Arnett. I mean, Damon Arnett was fantastic, too. All three of them had fantastic years. But Sean, like you said, he was good enough to play on the outside this year. He's not being stuck in the slot because he's viewed as a weaker player than Jeff or Damon. It's just he's really good at playing that slot cornerback role. And I think that offers a ton of value When he eventually does go to the nfl and that there's a guy if you are looking for a guy you can plug right into that slot cornerback role he's already proven he can do it in a high level so i think that's ultimately in the long run going to help his nfl draft stock in 2021 presumably is when he will go pro but i think getting that opportunity to play outside next year you're now going to move into the Jeff Okuda role where you're the number one cornerback. You're the one who's matching up with the opponent's top receivers. And if he can go and have a Jeff Okuda-like year, which I think is well within his capability, then we could be talking about him as a top 10 pick next year. There could be no doubt that he would be a first-round pick next year. So I think it's a smart decision. I would, not have, I would not have faulted his decision either way because I think he could have gone to the NFL this year. He would have been a top 100 pick. He'd be making good money. I think he... I think he was ready. Or I think he could have gone to the NFL and he could have succeeded right now, but I think another year definitely gives him a chance to really solidify himself as that early first round pick.
1: Yeah, and it makes you wonder too, just based on the, the, the turnover in the secondary, how many balls will come his way, because that's the other part of this decision. Um, it's huge for Ohio State. It really is. Ohio State lost a lot of guys on defense and, and more in their secondary than in any other level. They, they, they lost Damon Arnett, Jordan Fuller, and uh, Jeff Okuda. And if you look behind them, I, I just think it's an interesting spot they find themselves in because, um, like when Kendall Sheffield left the year, bef- left the year before, um, a year ago at this time, you looked at Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda, and they had played a little bit, and they were these five star guys who you just felt like, you know, when their time comes, they're going to be really good i think that i think there's just a lot more uncertainty around this secondary right now i mean if you just if you just look at a position by position i think on the outside it'll probably be either seven banks or cam brown um opposite um opposite sean wade i think Tyreek johnson can work his way in the mix too uh, if he gets healthy um but neither of those guys were these elite top level recruits i think i think they both have really nice athleticism i think they both have really high potential but I don't think they're really anywhere near that right now. And if you look at slot, who's gonna replace him? Like maybe Amir Reap. Probably Amir Reap. He's gonna be a, Reap, gonna be a senior. Think. He he's sort of the guy that I'd imagine right now. Um, you know, I thought he had a pretty good fiesta bowl, but he's not the guy you plug in and it's like, well, he's gonna be a first team All Big Ten guy, where maybe you think that about a Sean White or a Jeff Okuda a year ago. And then in the back I think a lot of people are excited about Josh Proctor, yet I think even in the Fiesta Bowl he missed a couple tackles. I mean the the one big Trevor Lawrence run he missed a tackle right there, and that directly led to to, to a, a touchdown right there. And you know, it's I think they find themselves in a place where there there's reason for optimism. Yet I would say on the on, on the defensive side of the ball, this is this is going to be the number one question for
0: the next eight months. I think it's the number one question on the team. Period. Even with Sean Wade coming back, and it's it's huge if Sean Wade's coming back. I mean, if Sean Wade wasn't coming back, there'd be major major concern. ...about this group because you would not have a single returning starter. You would not have a single returning player who's regularly been in the lineup. So having Wade back to lead that group is huge. But those ever-free spots, they're still all question marks because... ...while I think all those guys you named are talented, the reality is they're all unproven. None of them none of them have had to play week in and week out. We saw Reap get some significant playing time later in the year in Wade's slot. thought he had his ups and downs, but I thought overall... He, he showed some good things where you could feel pretty good about, okay, he, he got put into some really tough spots. He wasn't getting thrown in against Rutgers and against Miami Ohio. He got thrown in against Michigan and Clemson, for two best passing offenses they faced all year. And I thought he made his mistakes, but he eventually made his plays and he held his own. So I, I, I feel pretty good about him. I, I think he's a guy that if he continues to develop, he will be a good player but i also don't think he's going to be sean wade i don't i don't think he's going to be a future first round pick i am just not i'd be surprised at this juncture of his career if that's what he'd become
1: and i think that that goes for all of them i think that you know i feel pretty good about cam brown and seven banks like when 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 we saw them in limited time they've looked pretty good and cam brown i think is a really interesting he's an interesting story to me too because he's not that five-star guy he was a wide receiver in high school but he has sort of that five-star athleticism and, and and that's sort of one of those things where maybe if there's a if there's a lower guy that breaks through and it turns out he's actually a star sometimes it's the guy who has five-star athleticism athleticism who puts it together in college and like that's why i look at cam brown and i'm a little bit intrigued by him he told me after the big 10 championship that he was clocked at a 4 three forty, and then he said yeah but i stumbled i think i can get four two, and i was like you are playing the right position, but, like <laughs> you're a quarterback. That makes sense. <laughs> you have that attitude.
0: Well, they need they need someone to replace Damon Arnett's swagger. They in do. The back end they do because yeah, there that's are not a, many. That's probably the biggest loss. There are I've not seen. many players that have the swagger that Damon Arnett brought, and and all those guys. I mean, I mean Jeff Okuda is a guy who has he has a more quiet confidence about him, but a very confident guy. Sean Wade certainly has that as well, and and Jordan Fuller on the back end, but. Yeah, I think, Brown's, I think Brown's an intriguing guy. I think, he, like you said, he, he's got the tools. And there's a reason. There's a reason why he's moved up the depth chart quickly. Same thing with seven banks. And everybody always asks about Tyreek Johnson. And he's a guy, again, he was a five-star recruit. I think maybe his development didn't quite go as well as maybe people expected earlier. And he got himself a little bit further down on the depth chart. Will he make a move this year? This is his big chance. So we will see but i think you also got to give cam and seven credit because those guys have moved up through their own merits through the way that they've performed in practices over their first two years and now now it's time to prove it now you know i, I one thing you would say that if kerry combs becomes the new secondary coach is typically during his time at ohio state he typically rotated three corners so you would think that especially since there's going to be a question mark at whatever spot. You would think most likely two guys are going to get the chance to rotate there. My guess right now would be Cam and Seven, but maybe Tyreek can work his way in there. Maybe Marcus Williamson can work his way in there. You even got a couple freshmen coming in right now, which ideally I don't think you want to be throwing true freshmen out there on the field at corner, but you look at their depth chart, it's basically the guys we just named. So even guys like... Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts coming in right now as early enrollees. They've got to be ready because they're going to be on the two-deep. When you're starting free corners, they might be on the two-deep, and you might need them to play. So you you hope it doesn't get to that circumstance, but basically every corner on the roster is going to have to be ready to play this year, and they're going to need a couple guys to really step up.
1: Yeah, and it's January. You know, there's like – in, in, I don't know, over the course of the next few months, maybe they like Cam Brown or Seven Banks more at the slot. Like, there's a lot of ways this thing can go. Um, it's January, so so we have to project the best we can, and, and I think that's sort of what we think. The one thing I'll say about um, this that, that I think is the, the more optimistic take if, if you look at this, and I'm not sure how much I believe it, but it, it is worth noting, is like a lot of times at Ohio State, when when you're covering the team, when you're when you're when you're listening to people, you sort of hear people coming sometimes, and you hear people say things, and you know sometimes you just have to parse, you know, what are they saying just because they have to be nice versus what are they saying because they actually really believe this. And I think you can sort of hear some of these guys coming um, throughout the last few years. Cam Brown, his rise through the depth chart this year was sort of staggering. It was out of nowhere because he was injured for a good bit of his freshman season and he's this converted wide receiver who was ranked outside of the top 300. he's he's not the guy who i imagine is gonna bump seven banks and, and and tyreek johnson for playing time but he did um and and you heard jeff halfley i think in the middle of the season talking about just his rise and how much he clicked um and put it together if you think back to a year ago, before the Rose Bowl, I still remember Greg Schiano at the time saying that he thinks Seven Banks, if he continues down his development path, can be the Nets' great Ohio State cornerback. And, like, that's one of those things where I think some people hear it and they say, well, what's he supposed to say? Well, he didn't have to say that. He could have just said Seven Banks has been developing really well. To me, that told me something at that moment that, that you know, he really, he believes in him um, in a way that, that he thinks he can be great. And then Josh Proctor had maybe the most outlandish preseason comparisons I've ever heard. There was like a two-week stretch in the in, in fall camp before twenty the 2019 season began where he got compared to Ed Reed, Jalen Ramsey's arms, and Malik Hooker. I was like, you know, like he didn't, once again, they didn't have to make those comparisons they no. could have just said he's really rangy athletic and he's good i think there are a lot of people who believe in some of these guys and and i think to me that that, that is reason to have some more optimism than you just look at their recruiting stars and it's like well he's not as highly ranked as jeff okuda and sean wade i think that's easy to do but you know i think i think these guys are are, are a little bit a little bit intriguing
0: yeah and i think josh proctor is a guy we haven't talked a ton about him but i think he's a guy that people have been really excited about for two years and yep. unfortunately for him now until he gets out there on the field the enduring image of him now is going to be him whiffing that tackle on Trevor Lawrence in the middle of the field and I'm sure I'm sure he cannot wait to get back on the field in September and be able to make up for that play because that's kind of a play that he's going to be remembered for right now but you know we, we've seen him you know, we, we, we've seen him show his range in practices and, and when he's gotten into games and spring games and whatnot. You know, we, we've seen him show his range. He's a guy that people have been excited about. There were a lot of people who, going into this past season, were hoping that he was going to play more than he did. And and there was a reason why he was out there in the National Championship game. And, and we, could, we could second guess all we want about whether Josh Proctor should have been out there playing that role in the biggest game of the year when he hadn't played that much all year, but just the fact that he was out there playing that role tells you that the coaches believed in him, that they believe he was a guy who was ready to play in the biggest game of the season. And so I think he's a guy, he does have that kind of range on the back end where if you think if he can click He's a guy who could really be a playmaker back there on the back end. And we saw him show some physicality. We saw the last play of a Wisconsin game where Jack Cohn was running out of bounds and he really he really delivered a shot to finish off that game. So there's a guy who I think has all the tools. We talked about he wasn't quite a five-star, but I think he's guy who's he's one of those guys who has all the tools where if he puts it all together, we could be talking about his, him as an early round NFL pick in a year or two. I think the big question there is that position and the way Ohio State's new defensive scheme is designed, that is such an important position. Jeff Halfley called it the eraser earlier this year where you've got to be that guy who, if a big play breaks over the middle, you've got to be able to make that play. And we saw it against Clemson, and and that didn't happen. He got erased. So that's going to be the question for him. And I I think he's going to be pushed a little bit too. I think Marcus Hooker is another guy that came along this year that he's certainly... We saw his his older brother in his third year really came out of nowhere and became a star on defense. I think he's another guy who's going to be pushing for some playing time there. and They'll probably try some different things schematically to try to take the pressure off that guy a little bit because they're not going to have a proven guy back there like Jordan Fuller. But certainly the, the potential's there for this to be a big group. But there's no question that going into September, this is going to be one of the biggest question marks on the team. Yep.
1: The other guys who left early, um, there was not much question about them. No. Not at all. Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, two of them will be top five picks. The other one could be a first round pick.
0: I would have been shocked if any of them came back. I think They're we blown away. I think we knew all of these decisions were coming. They didn't have anything to gain by coming back. Chase Young, most likely gonna be the number two overall pick. There's a chance it's gonna be Buckeyes one two 3 because Joe Burrow of a former Ohio State quarterback course now at LSU he's most likely going to be selected by the Cincinnati Bengals if the number one overall pick I can't see the Washington Redskins passing up Chase Young of a number two overall pick and a lot of the early mock drafts have had Jeff Okuda to the Detroit Lions if the number three overall pick so there's a lot of time for things to change but I feel pretty confident about Young being the number two overall pick I, I'd just be really surprised if that didn't happen I think he's far and away the best non-quarterback prospect in this draft and after the Redskins got Dwayne Haskins last year, I think it's going to be a no-brainer for them to take Chase Young. Jeff Okuda, we'll see. But I think top five is very likely for Jeff Okuda, at least top ten. So those were two guys we knew they were going. And then J.K. Dobbins, we see a lot of running backs leave after three years. I think, I think J.K. Dobbins has maximized his draft stock to where I'm not sure if he's going to be a first-round pick. I, I, I think he's going to be right on the fringe. If, I, if I'm going to call my shot, I'm going to say he will be. I'm going to say that J.K. Dobbins will be a late first-round pick. But I think a lot of that depends on how well he tests at the NFL Combine too. how fast his 40 is, how good his agility looks, because I think he's going to be right in that bubble where late first, early second. But after breaking Ohio State's single-season rushing record, having the kind of season that he did this year, I don't think there was anything he could do at this point where he was going to come back next year. And, and suddenly shoot up the draft boards i think he is what he is at this point and has a real chance to be a first round pick which going into the season i wouldn't have said so i think he definitely improved his draft stock this year and i think he made the right decision going pro
1: yeah he did the only reason like literally the only benefit i, I can imagine him coming back to school would be to, to go win a national championship with ohio state and to set the career rushing record at ohio state which he would have locked up pretty easily at, at least a I, I honestly haven't done the calculation, but if I remember, he would have. He would have. He would have yeah, watched was, it up I pretty mean, easily.
0: He, he, I think. I think he would have gotten there. As long yeah. as he had stayed healthy, I think he yes. would have gotten there, and he would have. He would have ended up passing Archie Griffin by the end of his his career.
1: Yeah. The other two, I just want to make a point. Like, this is a tough look for the stars don't matter, folks, because Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were everything that you could have ever asked for in a five star prospect. Like they really were. They, they had unbelievable careers, I think you could have, I think people were surprised that that Jeff Okuda didn't win the Jim Thorpe Award, and that would have meant that Ohio State had the best offensive back and best offensive lineman in the country. And that comes all the way back to recruiting. This is the the reason why everybody talks about recruiting 24-7, and sure, you have these exceptions, but they were no exception to the rule. They were everything you could have asked for. Um, Chase Young, number seven overall prospect in 2017, makes you wonder who the, Six above him were, but. No, um, oh, I, I actually it, was just looking well, back. Listen, tell it, me. Was it, there was, it, was there anyone who was Jalen Phillips,
0: Najee Harris, Cam Akers, Alex Leverwood, Foster Sorrell, Marvin Wilson? No offense to any of those guys, but if you were redoing it now, Chase Young would have been the number one overall prospect yep. in the class.
1: No, and it, it, like, when when you think back to the 2017-Jeff Okuda
0: would probably be the number two prospect in the class.
1: Yeah. When you think back to the 2017 class, Sure, Ohio State didn't win a national championship with some of the best players in that class, but they had an unbelievable hit rate. And I know this has been talked about so often, but if you just look at the guys atop there, you have Chase Young, who was the best defensive player in the country this year. You have Jeff Okuda, who was arguably the best defensive back. You have Baron Browning, who was a starter. You have Sean Wade, who's going to be a first-round pick. You have Wyatt Davis, who was a first-team All-American. You have J.K. Dobbins, who's arguably the best running back in the country. Josh Myers, who's on an all Big Ten team. That's an unbelievable hit rate at the top.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's why Ohio State was in the position it was in this year. I remember writing over the summer about all the third year guys and how important that class was. And we saw it this year. That, that top of that class, those five star, high four star guys, Those are the guys that needed to be superstars for Ohio State this year for them to be a national championship caliber team. And they didn't quite get there, but they were certainly capable of being there. And the reason why they were at that level was because of those guys.
1: Yeah, um, and it makes me want to make a point here about the 2018 class because it's just sort of throughout the year. I think there are moments when I looked at the 2018 class and I was like, wow, I can't believe these guys aren't contributing as as much as I imagined. I remember we had this conversation earlier in the year but when you think about next year, um, like some of those guys in that 2017 class who are hits and who were studs for Ohio State are gone. And like this 2018 class has got to come through in, in a similar way for Ohio State to get back to that national championship um, level, which they were at this past year. Um, Nicholas petit Frere, potential to start next year. Teron Vincent, coming off an injury, potential to start next year. Tyreek Johnson could be in the mix there. Those are your three five-stars. And like we just talked about the five stars in the 2017 class, Ohio State really hasn't gotten anything from their three five stars in the 2018 class in their first two years. When you look into the third year, like Urban Meyer had always said the third year is where 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 you sort of start to make your money. Like you got to have you got to make a mark in that third year. This is that time for them, and, and honestly, it, it, it's probably been a little bit disappointing to Ohio State to have not gotten anything from them, and if you look at the other top 100 prospects, you have Jalen Gill, who you just haven't seen much of, Tyreek Smith, I think there's a, a lot of people thought this year would be his breakout year, maybe it's next year. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert's right in the mix, uh, Taraja Mitchell we just haven't seen much of, Tommy Togiai could start next year, Matthew Jones could be in the mix to start next year. Josh Proctor is going to start. Cam Babb has been hurt. Brian Sneed's off the team. Tyler Friday could be in the mix again next year. He's been in the mix already. Like, that's a lot of guys who are really highly rated, who Ohio State just hasn't gotten a ton out of. And, like, when I think, can Ohio State become that national title team next year? I'm looking at this 2018 class, which was ranked second in the country, had basically the exact same rating, average player rating, as the prior year, and you just haven't seen much from it yet.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think it you know, sometime probably in the spring or summer, we might just have to just do a whole episode, just focus on this class because it's you're, huge. You're right. If you look at the class, really the only guy in the entire class who's really consistently been an impact player for Ohio State so far is Chris Olave, who is the third lowest ranked player in the class. Yeah. So absolutely there's so many guys in this class we already talked about a few of them in josh proctor and seven banks and cam brown and you could talk you could do the same with uh master teague and a lot of the guys that you just mentioned there there's a lot of guys in this class that that need to step up next year to start living up to the height that they came in with and whether or not they do is going to have a huge impact on whether or not ohio state is a national championship contender in 2020
1: yeah, there's just a lot of unknown there. Um, you want You asked this question. I, I'm interested in your answer. Going back to the NFL draft stuff really quickly. Among Ohio State seniors, who do you think is the best draft prospect? And and the three options you had were Damon Arnett, Malik Harrison, and K.J. Hill.
0: Yeah, they they really have a pretty deep draft class, and I'm going to have to write about this soon because they really do have quite a few guys who I think are going to get NFL looks this year. But I would say Damon Arnett, I think, is probably the guy among their seniors who's going to go the highest, and I probably wouldn't have said that going into the year. I think that's a guy who people have been talking about for years i mean i remember even two years ago when he was a redshirt sophomore there was some buzz about if he had the kind of year he was capable of he could be an early round pick and it it really took him until this year and working with jeff halfley to really get to that level where he played up to his potential but i think he's my guess is he's a second round pick second or third round pick i don't think he'll quite be a first but i think he made himself a solid day two pick this year i think malik harrison's right in that mix as well so i would put him second but i think david arnett that would be the guy that i'd bet on would be the top pick among ohio state's seniors
1: yeah i think you're right it is a it like the it it is so weird to compare them because just personas on the field so different but to me he's the Terry mclaurin this year you have a guy who I think maybe two, three years ago, Ohio State fans were looking at like, man, I don't really know what he can develop into. It seems like he's reached his ceiling. And his career went on, and, you know, he, he had some improvements, and then the senior year hit, and he just looked like a different player. And that, that really is what happened with Damon Arnett. I From the moment the season started till the moment it ended, to me, like, I think I don't remember him really having a bad performance at all the entire season and he was playing with a giant cast on his hand the entire year i, I was as much as impressed as with, with his growth as, as really anybody on the team and even though uh, he talks as much as he does i think he could have gotten more publicity just nationally for what he was doing
0: yeah no i, I agree i think he got a little bit overshadowed by okuda and even by sean wade even though he was playing that outside role and sean wade was playing in the slot i i know he was uh going back at someone on Twitter every day for calling him the quote unquote over other cornerback on Ohio State he, he did not appreciate that description understandably but I but I, I I think all three of those guys are gonna play in the NFL I think Damon Arnett's gonna be a really fun guy to watch and I'll say this for the NFL team that gets him and enjoy him beat writers of that NFL team because he was my favorite quote, on Ohio State's football team this year. Just a guy who you always know you're going to get something interesting from. There's so many guys who, who always give you coach speak and you, you kind of know exactly what you're going to get. But Damon, you always knew you were going to get something unique, something that was from the heart and really really enjoyed talking to damon all year long
1: the dude was forever himself he he just he was himself on the field he was himself off the field and you were never going to change him and i think jeff halfley managed to harness that in a way that nobody nobody had previously and it's really it's,
0: it's sort of an unbelievable bright uh development story and i think that speaks to how good a job jeff halfley did where yep. maybe for some other coaches if somebody doesn't necessarily quite exactly fit into a certain box, it might be a struggle. I think Jeff Halfley did an excellent job of recognizing each player for exactly what they are and, and playing into those strengths. And we saw Damon Arnett. Like you said, you know, if we were going to talk about the seniors, I think probably him and Devon Hamilton were probably the two guys this past year who we saw make the most drastic leaps from their fourth year to their fifth year and are now guys that we're going to be talking about as NFL draft prospects because of how well they played this past season. We're going to talk coaching, we should talk about the coaching change. Yeah, so we saw actually last Wednesday, so after we had recorded, but it might have been before the podcast even published, that Corey Dennis was promoted to Ohio State's quarterback coach. They they haven't officially announced it yet, but it's going to happen. Corey Dennis is going to be Ohio State's, new quarterbacks coach, replacing Mike Yurcich, who last week became the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Texas. And a little bit of a different move here than what we saw from Ryan Day's initial hires last year in that Corey Dennis, he's never been a full-time quarterbacks coach or a full-time assistant coach in any position for that matter. He has been in the Buckeyes quarterback room for the past two years. He's been with Ohio State since 2015, started out as an intern after he graduated from Georgia Tech, where he primarily played wide receiver. But he's been in the quarterback room for the past two years, seems to be very well liked by the guys who are in that room, and you know by everyone around him. He's going to provide continuity in that quarterback room, where if you're Justin Fields, you don't have to adapt to a brand-new quarterbacks coach now. You're going to be continuing to work with a guy who's already been working with you for the past year. But he's still unproven in that he's never had to lead a position room himself. He's never been out there leading the way on a recruiting trail. So what do you think, Colin? Is Is this the right move at the right time, or do you think Ryan Day should have gone for someone with more experience?
1: It's... You know, this is I – think, I think Ryan Day really killed it in, in putting together his first coaching staff. Um, up and down, it, they, I know Mike Yurcich is, is the one who's leaving and there are people wondering about, about why he's leaving. And, and I think there have been people who have reported um, certain strains in the coaching staff there and, and maybe he didn't work as well together with other people.
0: Um, He also got offered a lot of money by Texas. He also
1: got offered an
0: $800,000 raise, which... I don't think Ohio State would have matched.
1: No, and it makes me wonder if Ohio State didn't want him back. Who was Texas bidding against? Listen, I don't know, but you don't give someone an $800,000 raise bidding against nobody. At least that's just my opinion. I don't... You would think. Yeah, I I have no idea. But no, Corey Dennis is... It is a really interesting hire, and man, this is the risky hire and i there there are a lot of reasons to to understand why he did it i think largely because he's a quarterback's coach he's coached his position he might probably feel like he doesn't need another voice in there right now he like, he himself, I think, is on sort of the forefront of the offensive revolution. It's not like you need to bring somebody in. Like, maybe if you look at Urban Meyer's last hires, like, maybe he could have gone out there and gotten some young coach with some new ideas. I think Ryan Day probably believes that he doesn't necessarily need that right now. He probably believes that he he has this continuity. He, Justin Fields has been working with Corey Dennis. I think, there, I think there are a lot of reasons that he liked having this um, – This sort of continuity where where there isn't there isn't change for justin fields justin fields when he comes back he's not gonna have mike hirsage but he's still gonna have corey dennis
0: and 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 ryan day
1: and i think to him i really do think it just comes down to that
0: yeah yeah, you say it's a risky hire but then for all the reasons you mentioned is why i don't really think it's that big a risk because like you said the reason why quarterbacks want to come play at ohio state right now is because of ryan day Ryan Day is still, no matter who the quarterback's coach is, is going to be integri- integri- integral. <laughs> I got you. Integrally involved. That, that word always trips me up for some reason. Integrally involved in what the quarterbacks are doing. No matter who the quarterback's coach is. And I think that actually limits you to a little bit in who you can go out and hire. Because I think that's another reason, most likely, why Mike Giersich chose to leave after one year was. He wasn't calling place. He he wasn't the offensive coordinator. And it's questionable whether he was even the top guy in his own room because Ryan Day is a quarterback's coach by trade. He is always going to be working with those quarterbacks in a hands-on approach. And he's really... Ohio State's offense is Ryan Day's offense, especially on the passing side of things. Ohio State's offense is Ryan Day's offense. So I think by promoting Corey Dennis you're promoting somebody he's been there so he understands exactly what he's getting himself into he's somebody who is gonna provide that continuity which you look at what they did last year continuity is a good thing you have Justin Fields coming back you want continuity the biggest thing is you've now got two freshmen coming in right now and Jack Miller and CJ Stroud who are starting from square one so Whatever that balance is between Ryan Day and Corey Dennis, and most likely they'll bring in another GA or QC coach to help out in that room a little bit as well. But whatever that balance is, it's got to work because you've got to get those guys ready for 2021 when most likely one of those guys is going to be your due starting quarterback. So you've got to be able to develop. He's got to be able to recruit. But from what, I, from what I've heard, it sounds like people really like Corey that he does a good job connecting with players. And again, Ryan Day is ultimately going to be the guy leading the recruitment of any quarterback. So I don't think it's too risky. I also don't think he's going to have – Ohio State hasn't announced this. My guess would be that they maybe make Brian Hartline passing game coordinator. And that's just a guess because – He's actually said in his performance reviews in the past that he wants to be a passing game coordinator. And I think that would make logical sense for him to be for him to move up to that role. Certainly someone that you want to keep around on your staff. But no matter who they hired as quarterback coach, it was gonna be Ryan Day's room. It was gonna be Ryan Day's offense. And I think in this case he may have prioritized continuity and someone that he knows, someone that he trusts, someone that he's confident that will be a good fit within the staff and within the team, rather than risk bringing in someone who he might clash with and who might might not quite neatly fit into what they've already got rolling here.
1: All right, let me bring in the skeptical side. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a much bigger risk than, than that. I think like, even just the last thing you said about the risk of bringing in um, a coach who you don't have this continuity built up, you you have this outside voice, that's literally what Justin Fields did last year coming to Ohio State. The outside voices were Ryan Day and Mike Yersuch. And then Justin Fields went out and threw three interceptions the entire year. And if you want to say that in the room that maybe they weren't getting along well, well, in that room where they weren't getting along – or or whatever happened, I'm not sure the exact words in in the reporting that has been out there. Um, You know, Justin Fields was an unbelievable quarterback who was a Heisman Trophy candidate who could have won it in in many years. Um, I I think an outside voice helps, even if, even if it's not someone who's been in the room still. I think if you're going to hire someone just for the continuity of, of Justin Fields that's so short-sighted, and I get that the other part of that, if you don't want to say it short-sighted, then you can say you're investing in somebody who was a just a senior quality control coach who hadn't been a position coach yet, and if you get him now, he's not going to leave. And there is, I think that is an added benefit where, listen, if you're hiring Corey Dennis, Corey Dennis is not going to leave to become USC's offensive coordinator next year. Presumably Corey Dennis will be on staff for like half a decade at least. I, I'm not re- envisioning a scenario in which Corey Dennis is leaving anytime soon. I, you I wouldn't
0: think so, and also he was going to leave if they didn't promote him. Yes. He was, he was he My understanding is he he was going to be the a quarterback coach at Colorado State that there had already been an agreement made there but that was pretty much a done deal he was literally and, a
1: Stephen Agios press conference. yeah
0: I mean if you look Colorado State follows him on Twitter and 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 I I think I think that was pretty much a done deal it was going to happen and then because the position opened up with Mike Yurcic leaving Ohio State was able to make an offer and keep him around so they were going to lose him and if they lost him then you're really starting from scratch in that quarterback room other than Ryan Day where you were going to both guys who were working with the quarterback last year and Ryan Day were going to be gone and you were going to be bringing in brand new coaches into that room so I think that's part of it too in terms of you know obviously anytime you have a QC guy or a GA guy those guys are always going to be candidates to to go get other jobs and, and you're not going to stop those guys from doing that unless you can offer them a job on staff themselves but Obviously, Ryan Day feels like he's seen enough from Corey Dennis at this point that he feels like Corey Dennis is ready to make that move. and or, or he just feels
1: like he doesn't want to bring in an outside voice. And I right. think that, to me... I But I, I I don't look at that and be like, good call, Ryan Day. I, oh, no, I I'm look not at saying it necessarily I say, is. I, I think... I don't know. I, I think it's... I, I'm going to look long and hard at this one because this one's going to be really interesting to watch. I think that... You went out and you hired the guy who had been – who has never led a position group room before, who was going to go be Colorado State's quarterback coach, who – I mean, we can say it, like, he'll I imagine Urban Meyer played a big influence on him even getting in the room for that Colorado State job because Urban Meyer was the one who helped Steve Adazio get hired there. Like, there's a lot going on there that makes you think, like, well, if Urban Meyer didn't help him, I'm not even sure that he's getting the Colorado State job. I just, like – I don't know that Corey Dennis was the best guy that they could have got. In fact, I'm certain he was not because he's literally never let a room before. I just imagine there's there's other guys out there who, who could have had position. Um, I think that the, the main concern I would have is um, I think they're gonna be fine in the short term. I really do. I mean, you have Ryan Day who's been, he's been through this now before with Justin Fields, with Corey Dennis. There's not a lot of turnover atop that quarterback, um, atop the quarterback room. I think if you have Ryan Day, Corey Dennis, and Justin Fields, that's solid. My questions come into what happens down the line, and especially even next year, um, I'm, I'm interested in the backup quarterback battle because people can come into rooms, and, and if, you know, if there are young guys competing who have really never competed in this way before, I think that's really hard, and then all of a sudden you have this 28-year-old position coach who's never been a position coach before who's leading the room. There are, there's a lot of things in there that can go wrong, and Ohio State's seen some of that happen before. And I get Ryan Day's right there, but do you really want your head coach to be that in, integrated into the position group where he is having maybe these meetings and these certain things that the position coach should do, or do you want him to be able to, to, to oversee more of the program? He's the play caller too. He, does, he has all these different things. Um, to me, like this is why you hire maybe a more veteran guy um, I'm I'm extremely interested to see how Corey Dennis does in that. He, for all I know, Corey Dennis is this gem who Ohio State has found that no one else, nobody else knew about. But I don't know that, and and I and I think even if Ohio State thinks that, Ohio State's never even seen him do that. It's not like he went to South Florida and was the quarterback coach for a year. Ohio State has literally never seen this before. I, I just. I think Corey Dennis is walking into a little bit of a tough situation here, um, at least in the, in the long term. I'm, 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 I'm very interested to see how it goes.
0: I think those are all very valid concerns, and I think you're absolutely right. If, if Ohio State wanted to go out and hire a veteran quarterback coach, they absolutely would have had people with bigger resumes than Corey Dennis that would on paper be more qualified than Corey Dennis. There's no question about that. You're Ohio State you would have a lot of people interested absolutely there's no question that you could have gone out and gotten somebody who has more experience who has a proven track record with quarterbacks and i think that's a totally valid totally valid concern totally valid question to raise there's no question this this is a move that's going to be heavily scrutinized and fair or not the biggest reason why it's going to be heavily scrutinized is because of who Corey Dennis's father-in-law is, and a lot of people are going to look at the hire of Corey Dennis and think that he got the job because he's Urban Meyer's son-in-law.
1: And I don't think he got this job and I because he's Urban so. Meyer's
0: son-in-law. He got hired at Ohio State because he's Urban Meyer's son-in-law. Correct. correct, correct. And I think that I think those two things should be separated. I think I think it shouldn't be assumed that just because he got hired as Urban Meyer's son-in-law five years ago means that that's why he's being promoted now. i I've heard nothing but good things about him. I think he is legitimately viewed as someone who's a rising star in the industry. And I think he's someone that, had he gone to Colorado State and continued on his current trajectory, where he he could eventually have ended up in a job like this anyway, you a skip a, a step is being skipped. Like three steps here. are being skipped. But, but, just devil's advocate here. You could have said the same thing about Brian Hartline when he was promoted as wide receivers coach He, he,
1: he had played. there. I think they're different. There, There's a step there where Brian Hartline played for
0: Ohio State, and he
1: played in the OK, NFL. but he,
0: it's still similar in that he, at the time, he there was just a quality coach. control coach. Yeah. He had never been a wide receivers coach. Big difference was this happened in July and not January. So that was a big difference. That was in a unique circumstance. But still, I I think him being promoted from – and he hadn't even been at Ohio State that long. He had only been at Ohio State for a year or two before he was promoted into that position. So he even had less experience in coaching. He had played. He had been in the NFL. So those are different things. But – He had uh, never led a position group. Correct. So – there were questions at the time whether he was ready for that. You know, you know what else there were questions about whether he was ready? Ryan Day becoming the head coach. A lot of people thought a step had been skipped there, where a guy who had never been a head coach before was now being entrusted with one of the biggest jobs in college football. So I think sometimes you have to take a risk to get the best guy. And I'm not saying Corey Dennis is the best guy. I, I don't know. I don't know whether Corey Dennis is the right guy. I do know, and I know you've teased me about this before, that I am someone who tends to be more intrigued by the younger, up-and-coming coach than I am by the veteran just because he has more experience. I also think that with what Ryan Ryan Day has done so far in his first year as head coach, that I am now going to give him more benefit of the doubt on decisions he makes because so far... His hit rate has been pretty good, so I have reason to believe that if he's making a move like this, that it's a smart move, it's a reasoned move, it's an educated move, and whether it will prove to be the right move, I don't know, but I think there's reason for optimism about this move. Yeah, listen, I'm
1: not looking at this and saying Cordes is going to be bad. I'm just looking at it and saying, you know, Ryan Day could have went out and got someone better than Corey Dennis, who had done this before, and he didn't, and he chose not to. And I'm questioning that because I think I think there are a lot of reasons to um, to 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 go out and get somebody who's been there and done it. And it's not like you have to hire Billy Davis. You can hire someone who's on the rise, who's maybe at a lower level, who you've seen coach a quarterback room
0: before. Um, and I do think some of this is probably that ryan day just doesn't know who that guy is i, I don't I, I think I, can i say that's actually a little bit of another concern long
1: term i would have and which you have talked like, about this before this i believe a, that yeah, this isn't a giant concern i have but it's something to at least pay attention to Ryan Day's 40 and like you said he's never been a head coach before i'm not looking at ryan day and saying I don't know if he can keep this up, but I'm looking at Ryan Day. I'm saying, well, he's never been a head coach before. He spent years in the NFL. The, the highest level of college coach he was was at Boston College. He wasn't at this, this other giant institution. His his pool of coaches to pick from isn't giant. And to me, when, when I'm looking at, he has these guys who he, who he picked on his first staff, and I think his staff was great. All right, who when, when guys leave, who is he replacing it with? Well, he's replacing it with a senior quality control coach who he's – who who has never led a position group before, and if Kerry Combs gets hired, he's replacing him with this other former Ohio State coach. Like, that's not – when I'm looking at that, I'm not thinking, wow, Ryan Day is really going out across America and getting the best guy he can have. Now, I think Kerry Combs would probably be the best guy he could have. I don't want to make it sound like I think that would be a bad hire. I'm just looking at it from the point of view saying, you know, when I'm thinking about where Ryan Day is getting his coaches from – I don't think he's really searching the world and finding the best. I think maybe it shows and maybe this is the first sign and maybe Nets off season he proves this point wrong. But I look at it and I think, I wonder just how deep his pool is and whether that will affect his, coach, his coaching hires in the next three, four
0: years. No, I think that's a good point. I think it makes for a good segue into talking about Kerry Combs a little bit because you're right. And I, and I know he said on – gene smith's podcast that came up this week it was recorded before the fiesta bowl but they were talking to him about the coaches you listen to it and he said that mike yersich was the only one of his initial hires that wasn't someone he already knew well and had a strong existing relationship with and maybe that's part of a reason why he was only around for one year and and even though they're even though Justin Fields had so much success why that was a relationship that didn't last longer uh, than it initially looked like it would but you're right now the two coaches if this defensive backs coach higher goes the way we think it is and and even if it doesn't the reality is Jeff Halfley it's been close to a month now since Jeff Halfley left and Kerry Combs is literally the only name that surfaced even in connection with his job like nobody's even brought up like here's a plan b or here's another guy that like has ties that could make sense for this job it feels like it's kerry combs or bust because i i don't think they'd be (laughs) it doesn't even feel like bust it just feels like scary i think i think it probably is but we're not going to get an answer for sure until the titans are out of the nfl playoffs. so we're still waiting on that and you're right i agree with both points i think bringing back kerry combs is the right move I think he probably is the right guy for the job, because you're talking about somebody who did an excellent job in his first stint at Ohio State, he was there for each of Urban Meyers' first six years, so was the cornerback's coach. He has a proven track record of developing elite cornerbacks. He's recruited some of the guys like Sean Wade and Seven Banks and Amir Reed, some of the veterans, some of those guys that are still on the roster. He actually recruited those guys to Ohio State. So he's got an existing relationship with some of those guys. I think that'll make for an easier transition for some of those guys who would now be having a third defensive backs coach in three years. He, he'll be able to make an immediate impact on the recruiting trail because he's already recruited for Ohio State. He, he's been a fixture in the Cincinnati area for decades, so he already has tons of ties there that will enable him to have success on a recruiting trail right away. Not much of an adjustment period there. He knows what it takes to succeed at Ohio State. He's already worked with Day, and they obviously know each other well. And obviously, if they didn't get along well the first time, Day wouldn't be trying to bring him back now. So that's a good sign. Players always loved him. I think there's a lot of positives bringing back Kerry Combs. But it does go along with your point that it's not searching – for somebody else out there that might be the hot, rising, up-and-coming candidate, it's somebody who's already been there, it's somebody who's comfortable, that's familiar, and that could catch up. That could catch up with Ryan Day, because most likely at Ohio State, he's going to have to deal with replacing assistant coaches every single year. That's usually the way it goes. and. The further along you go the less guys that are going to be out there that are guys that you've already worked with before so certainly the longer he's a head coach he's also going to make more connections you know there's the afca convention coming up next week those are times where coaches meet each other i'm sure there's a lot of coaches that are going to be trying to introduce themselves to ryan day knowing shoot i would this four year old at
1: ohio state who doesn't have the deep ties to yeah
0: yeah no absolutely so He's going to make connections, but you're right that so far he's almost exclusively hired guys who are guys that he's worked with before and that he knows. And so far that's worked out, but we saw what happened with Urban Meyer at Ohio State where his initial staff was great, but then after some of those guys left... He made some great hires. Ryan Day was a hire. Ryan Day was a fantastic hire. and That was a guy who he had worked with a little bit, but maybe didn't have as deep of ties with as some of the other guys he brought in. But he also made some questionable hires, and typically when he made those questionable hires, it was usually guys that he had worked with before and might have fallen back on familiarity rather than necessarily getting the best guy for those positions. And so, yeah, I think it's a valid question. I do think that Overall, the Kerry Combs hire would be a great hire and is one that there's reason to be excited about, though. Yep. If
1: we're going to talk about risk like I did with Corey Dennis, I think there's certainly less risk when you're bringing back Kerry Combs. I think, Um, one, I think just there is this one thing in between them that that I would say. I think that if you hire um, Corey Dennis, Corey Dennis is going to get paid Significantly lower than any other assistant, and, I would think so. and it allows you to go after Kerry Combs, who I think I, I'm not sure what he's making in the NFL. I'm sure he probably got a raise from Ohio State. I imagine that's that that's a good reason. Yeah, for I don't think he he'd be
0: there. coming back to make less money. I yes. wouldn't think.
1: Yeah, um, uh, there 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 are so many reasons for positives, like you said. I, I really do think like the two are just he's an energetic super recruiter and you need that recruiting um to to continue from from urban meyer to ryan day especially in a defensive backfield where like we were talking about earlier it's not like right now they're going to be replacing five stars with five stars they're going to be replacing five stars with you know tyreek johnson was a five star but a lot of those other guys are maybe ranked around 200 or so Um, and listen it's a lot better than most of the big ten it's better than basically all of the big ten but Ohio State's not competing with the Big Ten. Ohio State's competing with Clemson, and they're competing with Alabama. And they're competing with LSU. Like that's the world that they live in, and and that's the standard that we have to hold them to. Is that's what they hold themselves to. Um, the like the the if we're gonna talk about like the, the minor risk things that I that I'm interested with Kerry Combs, and, and they're not risks. They're, they're they're more so questions than they are risk to me. Um, one. You know, he's never – I'm not sure if he's ever worked with Greg Madison. But I think one of the special things with uh, Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison was just how, how well they worked together. And, like, to me, that felt so seamless. Um, if Kerry Combs comes in, like, they have to have that that chemistry, the same one that Ohio State had with Madison and Halfley. And the other part I'm just interested in is last time Kerry Combs was at Ohio State, he ran a different defense than the one that he presumably would at Ohio State um, in terms of – they were a press cover team. You knew Ohio State was going to press all the time. They were going to run a lot of man. And and last year, Ohio State varied up its coverages. And that's what Ryan Day wants to do again.
0: Yeah, that is absolutely the biggest question that I have about Kerry Combs. And one of our readers actually asked about that this week, OSU Bias, asked about if it's Coach Combs, will Ohio State stick with the defense that it ran last year, or would it revert to – the quarter's coverage that it was running back in the past, back when Kerry Combs was there. Ryan Day has been adamant. He was adamant when he was asked about this in December after Jeff Hafley announced he was going to BC that they are going to continue to run the same defensive scheme. So I, I'd i be shocked if they didn't run the same defensive scheme next year. I think the question is how will Kerry Combs adjust to that because it is it is different than what they did before. And will... Kerry Combs's coaching style will that mesh with what, the, what Ohio State is doing on defense now? That's a tough question that's, that's one that I'm not 100% sure about. I would think it would because I think Kerry Combs is a really good coach and I would think, especially now a couple years in the NFL and having to adjust to that style of a game But I think he'd be someone who's able to adjust and certainly these are questions Ryan Day has asked himself and that he's asked Greg Madison, and that he's asked the ever coaches on the staff. And if they didn't think that Kerry Combs was going to be able to fit in with what they want to do on defense, they wouldn't be hiring him. But I do think that's the big question. I, I don't think Ohio State is going to change its defensive scheme for Kerry Combs, but I think Kerry Combs is going to have to adjust to run that defensive scheme. And I'm, there's going to be little tweaks in general just because. The personnel is going to be different, and just because they're going to always want to have some new wrinkles. But I think philosophically, the the mix of cover one and cover free, and, and the single high safety looks that we saw this year, that is going to continue to be Ohio State's base philosophy on defense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I do think personnel um, is probably it, it is interesting because the reason they could get away with certain things this year was because of the personnel they had. When you have Sean Wade in the slot you're able to get away with certain things and when you have Jordan Fuller who like you said was the eraser you can have him back there knowing that basically 100% of the time he will do the erasing and he will get that tackle.
0: We've been talking so much about coaching changes and NFL draft declarations that we're only going to have so much time to really talk about the rest of the roster here looking ahead to 2020 but we talked about the secondary one of the questions that we were asked this week by STL Buckeye 15. Besides the secondary, what unit on this team is the biggest question mark heading into next season? It's an
1: easy one for me. I want to see if you pick the same one. Mine is running back. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I, in, fact, in fact, to me,
0: I have might have more questions about running back than I do at See, that I wouldn't agree. I, I would put secondary number one, but I would put running back number two. And I know this is one of those that I can already tell just from comments I see from readers even to the first week that it's gonna be eight months of us asking whether there's question marks and it's gonna be eight months of a lot of Ohio State fans responding, no worries, Master Teague's gonna be fine. But I do think there's a little bit of a worry here. And it's not that I don't yeah. think it's not that I don't think Master Teague is a good back, but I don't think he's J.K. Dobbins. And I don't think I don't necessarily think any of the running backs on this roster are JK Dobbins. And And I'm not sure there's a
1: really an easy path to say, all right, if Master Teague does this one thing he can be jk or like there was a game last year where we saw we think he can be a top five back in the country i'm just not sure i've really seen it with anybody who's on this current roster and none of them also were these five-star guys listen it does always come back to recruiting ohio state brian sneed was their highest ranked guy that they would have on the team but brian sneed is no longer on the team so you're looking at guys who were maybe lower ranked than than ohio state would have preferred ohio state is going to end up in the 2020 class with Mayan Williams, and and they're going after Jameer Gibbs. They would, they would love him, but if not, Mayan Williams is ranked. I don't know off the top of my head, but I imagine around like 600 or something like that. Like Ohio State has to be living in the in the top 100s for running backs, in my opinion. I don't think you have to have a five star in every class, but to have a J.K. Dobbins who is a top 50, I believe, recruit and to have Ezekiel Elliott who is a top 75 recruit. Like these are the kind of guys who you develop into stars. And i'm just not sure maybe marcus crowley is this under the radar guy who's going to develop into that but to me it's just you're going to be working with a committee maybe rather than what they did with jk and and they've had committees work in the past but this is not a committee of a guy who i think is going to be a star it's maybe just it's more of a committee of good backs which listen you can win with that but we're holding him
0: once again to the to super high standard. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't I don't want to knock any of these backs. I think they're all quality players. I they think are. Crowley and Chambers showed some good things in limited action this year. I think Teague does some things very well. I think the question that we both have about Master Teague is is he that multi-dimensional kind of back? Because if you watch him, he kind of has a certain style that he runs. So if he's a very straight line runner, he's powerful. He's fast. Physically Physically, he's, he's a monster. Physically, he's got everything you want in a running back, but does he have that cutting ability, that ability to find those little creases that made J.K. Dobbins so good? I don't know, and I don't know if that's something that can be easily developed. I don't know if that's something that he can suddenly just add that to his game from one year to the next and suddenly become this complete running back. I think. I think there might be some limitations of Master and That doesn't mean he won't be a great back. That doesn't mean he won't be a productive back. But I I do think, I think regardless, I think it's going to have to be a committee approach this year. And it's going to be interesting to see how Tony Alford handles that. Because we've seen in the past that I think one criticism that people had of Tony Alford in the past was... Me included. He didn't... He didn't when he had J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. Instead of strategically putting those guys in positions where each of their skill sets could be more beneficial, it was more just a straight rotation. And I think that's where like one guy gets one series, the next guy gets the other. And that's where I think I don't know if that's necessarily going to work with this group. I think there may need to be some more more of a strategic committee where you use guys in different capacities. And
1: and I actually, it it reminds me earlier in the season, I I did think there was a point where maybe they could use Master Teague a little bit more in the second half as sort of a battering ram weapon. And, like, I think that that's a a little bit of an intriguing part if if you pair him and Marcus Crowley where – Maybe Crowley has a little bit more of that J.K. Dobbins cutting ability, and Master Teague is the guy you hand it off to, and you know he's going to run a four-four and as a ball of muscle and is going to run somebody over. And like if you pair those together, I think that's an interesting combination. But I don't think like if you, I, I don't, I don't know that either one's going to win the Doak Walker Award. Yeah,
0: and and. and do you finally get demario mccall involved somehow does he finally get this have this role as somebody who can play a defined role it's very different from master Teague. does a jalen gill come in at h back and are there ways to creatively use him to get him involved in a running game i think those are all things that if you're ohio state's offensive coaches that you need to explore over the next eight months because it's not as simple as just saying we're going to throw master teague in there and the train's going to keep rolling. Because if a running game has plenty of potential, yeah. you've still got Justin Fields, who we saw before he suffered his knee injury late in the year, can be a big weapon with his legs. They should still have a great offensive line with Thayer Munford and Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis coming back. But if there's a drop-off from J.K. Dobbins to whoever they have, and I think there probably is going to be to some degree. It would be hard to ev- so have... There, there will be a drop It would be off. hard to envision... These unproven backs coming in and performing at a Doak Walker Award finalist level right away is how do you make up for that?
1: Yeah, it's just how do you maximize this this thing where like if you look at the history of Ohio State, Ohio State has great running backs and if I'm looking at the roster I'm just not sure right now they have a great running back just waiting in the wings waiting for the, waiting for his turn. Not to say, once again, I don't think the running backs are bad. I'm just looking for greatness. I'm looking for the guy who is the next J.K. Dobbins. And that is the standard at Ohio State. Yes, that is the standard. Like, you want to hold Ohio State to the standard. You don't want to hold Ohio State to the standard of, you know, they got 1,200 yards and they averaged 4.5 yards per carry. You don't hold them to that standard. In the same way, J.K. Dobbins before the season didn't hold himself to that standard. When he said 2018 to him him was a failure because even though he got 1,000 yards, he wasn't as efficient on the ground as he would have liked. Like, it was a really hard thing to say, but he was right. And he really was. And I, that's why he I was – He proved it. He really proved it. He proved what he could – he proved what Ohio State wants and expects out of their running backs and what they can get. And if there's a drop-off there, you know, it makes – one, I just – I think there has to be a drop-off. And it's just how, how – how can Ohio State maximize the guys that they have on the roster? It's going to be a really tough challenge for, for Tony Alford. I'm interested to see how he
0: handles it. This segues into another one of our questions for this week from t 83 He said, Justin Fields has a full season of experience and will have a whole offseason to work for the Ohio State coaching staff. I think most of us anticipate he will probably have an even better command of the offense because of this. This coupled with the loss of J.K. Dobbins, do you expect Coach Day to call a more pass-heavy attack in 2020? My answer to that is maybe. I do think, but I think what I would say is I don't necessarily know if it's going to be more pass-heavy, but I think it's going to be more quarterback-heavy. And what I mean by that is I think Justin Fields is going to become the guy, whether it's passing or running, that he's going to be the guy next year who when the game's on the line or you need a big conversion, he is going to have to be that guy. Who's going to make the play for you? And we've seen that. We saw that two years ago with Dwayne Haskins. We saw that a lot with J.T. Barrett. I think that's the way it's going to be next year. That I think because you don't have that star running back, it could be passing the ball. It could be running the ball. We saw he was Justin Fields was excellent running the ball on third downs this year. So I think he can be a weapon making plays with his feet. At the end of the year, his, his knee was hurt and he didn't quite have that. But when he's healthy, he can be a big weapon with his feet. I think he'll run the ball more next year, and I think he'll pass the ball more next year. And I think because they don't have a J.K. Dobbins that they can lean on the same way next year, I do think that's going to put more on Fields' plate in terms of really being the guy for Ohio State's offense.
1: Yeah, I really have zero disagreement with that answer. I don't think that they're going to become a pass-heavy team. in any way.
0: I don't think they're going to go back to two years ago where Dwayne was throwing the ball 60 times a game.
1: No, not at all. I think if you have
0: Justin Fields, you just, you don't do that. Um, and if you have Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis in the middle offensive line, you don't do that either. Nope. I have nothing to add. I think that answered perfectly. So that's, that's really, you know, what we're looking at on offense is Justin Fields is going to be back next year. He's Obviously, It's going to be the Justin Fields he, show. Him and Trevor Lawrence are going to be the two best quarterbacks in the country, and that's why Ohio State is going to be expected to be a national championship frontrunner. You've got two really talented wide receivers coming back, and Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, tight ends Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert are also going to be back. Maybe the tight ends will finally have a bigger role in the passing game next year. I say oh. that I say that mostly joking because we talk about it every year and it never happens. Three starting offensive linemen. Big questions, of course, going to be who's other than running back. It's going to be who steps up at that left guard and right tackle spot. My guess would be Harry Miller and Nicholas petit Frere, who are both five-star recruits. And then receiver, going to be unproven after Olave and Wilson. But when you look at all the talent in that room, Jamison Williams is another guy who I think is going to be ready for a bigger role next year. And then you've got four really talented freshmen coming in, Julian Fleming, Jackson smith Tajiba G. Scott, Mookie Cooper. I think at least one of those guys, maybe two of them, are, are going to be in the rotation next year and playing significant snaps for off Yeah,
1: and we'll dive into to, to all of that here in the future. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on every position group if we Absolutely. wanted to. I mean, and uh,
0: we will because we've got eight months of, <laughs> of shows until there's another game. This so is true. We if can. there's something you want us to talk about more, just let us know, and we're going to find time for it.
1: Yeah, it'll be easy in the off season. Way easier than it is during the season. Correct. Um, moving to the other side of the ball, Third Time's a Charm has a question. Says, a healthy Vincent, Togiai, Cage, Jackson, Harrison, Cooper, Smith at Friday, and Gene Baptiste on the line. Is it crazy to think that the line could actually improve with the loss of Chase Young?
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, that, sorry. I don't think <laughs> you're crazy Third Time's a Charm, but those are a lot of talented guys you just named there. But and
1: he didn't even name Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell, and Robert Landers correct. leaving also. Correct.
0: That's that's part of it. I mean, first of all, we're talking about the best defensive player in the country in Chase Young. I think to expect anybody, I think Zach Harrison's really talented, and I think he's probably going to start to emerge as a star next year. I think Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday and Javante Jean-Baptiste are talented players. And I think and Jonathan Cooper coming back is obviously huge. And I, I think... I think they're going to be solid at defensive end next year. I don't think anybody is going to play at the same level as Chase Young next year. That would be an unrealistic expectation. It, it, it just would be. Chase Young is such an individual force that I don't think you can expect anybody to play at that same level. And then, like Colin mentioned, you're also losing your top three defensive tackles from this past season, and those are guys that didn't get the same kind of attention that Chase Young did, but they all played really important roles. So I think their defensive line is still going to be good. You know, I think defensive tackle Teron Vincent coming back from injury is huge. Tommy Togi, I think, is a guy who another guy who we could kind of see be a breakout star. Haskell Garrett, we saw him; he was hurt a little bit down the stretch of a year. We'll see if he can take that next step. Antoine Jackson, another guy, but. Do I think they'll be better than last year? No, I, I think they're probably gonna drop off. The question is how much.
1: Yeah, it's it's honestly one of the more interesting Larry Johnson put, uh, units that Larry Johnson has put together because there's not a lot of certainty and there's a good bit of, of players who have been injured recently, who before their injuries you were expecting a lot from and you just really didn't see it. Um, if you just want to take the positions individually, I look at defensive end and I think, you know, Chase Young obviously had a standout season, but no returning defensive end had more than three and a half sacks last year. Like, I know that we always talk about the depth on the line, but I but I look at those defensive ends and I just think, you know, they they didn't totally play up their potential. And some of that was injury. Um Jonathan Cooper, I'm it's interesting because I think when he was a reg when he was a when he was a junior, he had two and a half sacks and it made you think, you know, I'm not exactly sure what, we're gonna, what 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 Ohio State will have in him um, as, as a senior. And then he obviously had an injury-riddled season. It will have been basically two years since we had seen a fully healthy Jonathan Cooper. I honestly don't really know what to expect there. Tyreek Smith? Tyreek Smith might be a monster. I thought Tyreek Smith was going to be a monster in 2019. And then he had injuries too, and he just really didn't live up to that potential that I thought that he would have. I think those two are going to be pretty solid. Um, I honestly just don't know their ceiling, respectively. I know Zach Harrison's ceiling is super high. I don't know what he's going to get to next year. So, like, I think there's a lot of unknown there at, at defensive end. That you know, they could be really good or they could maybe not be as great as Ohio as Ohio State fans would would like to imagine. Um, on the inside, it's interesting. Tommy Togiye, strongest player on the team, he's been that way since he arrived on campus. I think you've got to feel pretty confident about him. Antoine Jackson is going to be putting a big role, um, backing him up, and you know the way that Larry Johnson rotates, he's basically going to be playing the same amount of snaps as Togi. There's just uncertainty there for me. I just I, I'm not sure what to expect out of him. The other position, I think Haskell Garrett's been solid. Teron Vincent, I think, is a really intriguing guy there, but we really haven't seen Teron Vincent play the amount of snaps that he's going to play. So like when you look at it in totality, could they be really good? Like. There is a world in which they're better than last year's line. I'm not going to predict that at all. There is way too much uncertainty um, for for me to pick that. It
0: feels weird to say, because it hasn't been this way the last few years, but the unit that I feel most confident in on the defense going into next year is the linebackers because you've got two returning starters in Pete Warner and Tuff Borland. You've got another guy in Baron Browning who's played a lot. And to me, the biggest question mark about the linebackers at this point is how do you get some of these other guys on the field? There's like 37 dudes you could play. (laughs) You've got three guys in Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, and Kayvon Pope who I think are talented players who are pretty highly recruited guys. They're now going into their junior years, and they really haven't seen the field. So it's going to be interesting to see.
1: Let me mention one other guy, Justin Hilliard.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good point. Justin Hilliard coming back for his sixth year as a senior. And then you've even got young guys like Craig Young and Tommy Eichenberg, who now they've got a year under about could push for playing time. So they've got a lot of guys, a lot of depth to feel really good about there. I know there's always going to be people out there who wonder why Tough Borland plays, but he's a returning captain. I think he definitely improved a lot this past year. Pete Warner certainly improved a lot this past year. Baron Browning, now I think it's on him to take the next step. I think he's one of those guys we saw kind of have an up-and-down year, I think, where there were games he looked great. There were some plays against Clemson where he did not look great. I think he most likely moves to that weak-side linebacker spot and takes over for Malik Harrison in the starting lineup. But I think there's a jump that he still needs to make. And it's going to be interesting to see those guys behind him, which ones of them can force their way into the rotation. Because they're now getting to the point where those are guys that they need to be on field and i think there could be a little more rotation this year with malik malik harrison was such a mainstay i don't know that baron Browning is necessarily going to be that where he's a guy that's on the field every single snap but i do think just that overall the returning experience and the depth you have there you feel pretty good about what that group's going to bring to the table
1: yeah it's one of those situations where if you have eight guys who feel ready Got to imagine they're going to have three of them who are pretty the good. the biggest
0: question is how do you get guys on the field, that's always a good question to have. Exactly. For Fulham, you asked, just to wrap this up on the defense, he asked, what has to happen this offseason for the defense to be as good in 2020 as it was in 2019? And in reality, it's just a lot that has to happen yeah. because they're replacing seven starters – you talk about those? And some of those starters were really freaking good. Yeah, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller and Malik Harrison, those guys were really freaking good. So it's a lot that has to happen. I mean, if, if I'm going to honestly predict, I am going to predict if the defense is not going to be quite as good next year. Now, do I think they're going to go back to 2018? Absolutely not because I think the coaching is better. I think the scheme is better. I don't think you're going to go back to where you're giving up 80-yard plays every game. But do I necessarily think they're going to be a top-five defense next year? I can't predict that confidently right now because there's just too many unknowns. There's just too many star players that you're replacing. I think you need a lot of guys to really make significant leaps. And I think this is going to be a huge test for this scheme and for his coaching staff because I think as much of a turnaround as they had to make, they came in where they were inheriting some really – really good talent and then a lot of veterans yes and a lot of veterans and i think now their ability to develop guys over multiple years the development that they did with guys who didn't necessarily play this past year is going to now be crucial to their success in 2020
1: yeah i'm going to run it back with what we talked about earlier to answer that question too i'm going to say the 2018 recruiting class can they live up to to what they were when they were out of high school Vincent, Tyreke Johnson. Uh, Tyreek Smith, Taraja Mitchell, Tommy Togiai, Josh Proctor. I mean, those are the names of the, the the guys that have to step up, and they're guys who really. It's not that they haven't stepped up; it's it's more so that they really haven't got the opportunity to step up because there are veterans ahead of them, um, and them not veteran, not supplanting veterans. Maybe in 2018, you would have wondered, well, why can't they supplant the veterans? But last year, it was like, well, it was because the veterans are really good. So I'm interested. Just how good are some of those guys?
0: Silver Sniper asked us, which Buckeye takes the biggest leap forward from 2019 to 2020? Who's one guy that you look at who can really make a big leap this year?
1: Uh, I probably should have looked at this question yeah. beforehand. Just, Let me just go the One guy off the comes cuff. to mind. Pretty easy, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson might turn into the guy that we've seen flashes of, and those flashes were like, first round top of the first round type flashes um they were only flashes though if he can become more consistent put it together like garrett
0: wilson could be a first team all but 10 guys as soon as next year yeah i think he could probably say the same thing about zach harrison every guy i was going to go with because i think he i still think he gets a little overlooked with garrett wilson and the guys we're coming in this year i think jamison williams is a guy who I think is going to end up playing a really big role in that receiver rotation next year. Might not be a starter because they have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, but I think Jameson Williams has got to watch. I think he's a guy, uh, possibly on special teams as well, I think he could be an impact player. He's a guy who I'm looking at as a guy who could potentially break through. Rotspoo, if I'm pronouncing that right, he also asked us, which true freshmen see significant playing time? Again, I stick with the receivers because... You look at it, they lose K.J. Hill, they lose Austin Mack, they lose Benjamin Victor. There's only two sure things in that receiver rotation in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I think I think Julian Fleming, certainly five-star recruit, is a guy who has real potential to play a big role as a freshman. But going to go on a limb here, I actually think the, the true freshman receiver who's going to make the biggest impact in year one is Jackson Smith Najiba. And I think there's a possibility that he actually ends up being that guy in the slot who takes over for kj hill maybe not as a starter but i think they need somebody to to step up in that spot and certainly jalen gill who we talked about before is a guy who needs to step up but i think he's a guy who could potentially play either inside or outside and i wouldn't be surprised just seeing what he did in texas this past year the, the kind of astronomical numbers that he put up at Rockwall High School and the way that he just seems to keep rising and rising his stock, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in and makes a big impact in year one.
1: I really want it to happen so I can feel confident pronouncing his last name because right now I've heard – I, I think like I've
0: said it multiple ways and I'm Injigba still not – in
1: maybe? and I, I,
0: Injigba. Injeeba, I, th- I think it's actually Injigba. All right, but,
1: Jackson, you got to be good immediately so yeah. I can hear your name a lot. That's really <laughs> what I need. Um, I think – when you look at the class there aren't a lot of guys that other than the wide receivers who I look at and say they got a really good chance of of playing early like the guy there are probably two guys who maybe I'd look at or I guess three but two positions is like I'm not gonna pick Paris Johnson to start at right tackle but I also am gonna have a story coming in the next couple weeks where I went up and talked to him and he Wants to make the freshman All American team, and when he says it and he looks you in your eye, you sort of start to believe it's possible because he's looking down at you from. I mean, its... are you going
0: to question him when you were standing in front of him?
1: I, I did not tell him it was impossible. I think I probably told him. You know that that basically doesn't happen. It's happened <laughs> twice in Ohio State history, and once was Orlando Pace. Uh, but he understands that. I asked. I talked to Greg Stadrawa about it, which I'll have in the story too. He also understands that it's basically impossible for a freshman to start. But hey, like Michael Jordan did it a few years ago. It wasn't the plan, but it happened. Um, it wouldn't be the plan this time also because you have Nicholas Petit-Frere, who is a five-star recruit, the number one offensive tackle in the in his 2018 class. The plan has to be to start an NPF, and if that doesn't happen, it would probably be because. Paris Johnson wins that job, and you know Paris Johnson is built like an NFL lineman right now, which you can basically almost never ever say about a freshman. But a freshman offensive lineman, but it's it is true about him. The other one, I would say, I feel like I should like duck for cover right now. But like in the event something terrible happens to Justin Fields, like one of these freshman quarterbacks could suddenly be thrown in a role that in their first year where they're starting for Ohio State. Because the, the guy in front of them right now on the depth chart in the spring will be Gunnar Hoke. And Gunnar Hoke is a guy who couldn't beat out Chris Chuganoff. Um, I, 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 if I were to predict the depth chart right now, I'd have a freshman ahead of ahead of Gunnar Hoke. Um, and maybe that won't be the case because Gunnar Hoke will be in his second year. He'll be in his fifth year of college. So you imagine he's been around uh, that there will be a there will be an amount of trust there, but I think one of those freshmen, either Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud, could become the backup quarterback. And you know, worst case scenario, because this is what we have to go to when we're thinking about freshman playing, um, there is a possibility that maybe they could maybe they could
0: uh, have the had have, have some unexpected snaps. I'm disappointed that we're running out of time here because New Philifan asked us about. He used Mark Schlabach, who usually does a top 25 right after the national championship game for the next year on ESPN.com, and he asked about when he publishes his too early top 25 next Tuesday. And I was going to go on a rant about how I hate how everybody uses the phrase way too early on every preseason top 25, but we're running out of time for that, so just know that if I ever use the phrase way too early to describe a mock drafter or or, uh, top 25, it's time for me to retire as a sports writer. But... What his real question was: Where do you see Ohio State being ranked, and where do you think they should be ranked? And my feeling is they're going to be probably one or two. My guess would be probably number two behind Clemson two. because typically these preseason polls favor teams that have returning star quarterbacks, yeah. and no two teams are going to have bigger returning star quarterbacks than Ohio State and Clemson. I think if if Tua Tagovailoa had ended up staying at Alabama for another year, they would be right in that conversation for the number one or number two spot as well. I think they probably factor in at number three in the preseason top 25s. But my guess would be Clemson number one. After all, Clemson did just beat Ohio State again. They're either going to be the defending national champs or the defending runner-ups. They've got some other stars returning next year, to like Justin Ross and some intriguing guys in their defense. So. My guess would be Clemson, number one, Ohio State, number two, Alabama, number three. And I would say that's how I think it should be.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be how it is, too. I will say, like... I couldn't possibly tell you lsu too deep next year so i am
0: <laughs> they do have some good players returning like Jam- jamar chase is only a sophomore so he'll be back at receiver Derek stingley maybe the best cornerback in the country next year
1: yeah my point is that it's it's hard for me to tell you where they should be ranked He's right because like i literally couldn't I, I couldn't tell you what these other teams have coming back what i'll say is you know, you know i i understand a two ranking a lot of uncertainty on this team right. at some key positions where, where they lost guys who i think were super important and if you're it could end up that ohio state only has two guys go in the first round maybe two guys go in the first two ra- or three guys go in the first two rounds it, 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 that could happen but what i'll say is even those late round guys were gigantic for ohio state um i don't know where devon hamilton and jonah jackson are going to end up in in the draft but I know they were huge for Ohio State, and they, they really changed um, certain aspects of, of the team. KJ Hill is the all-time leader in catches. I don't. I honestly have no idea where KJ is going to end up getting drafted. Like there are these there are these other guys who I think Ohio State lost when 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 you look at the NFL draft. Maybe they're not going to go in the first round or two. But I think they were huge in college, and I, I just I just think Ohio State they got they have some big holes, and they're going to be counting on guys to step up. And I get it. Some of the guys that are kinda of step up are former five star prospects or top one hundred recruits. Like they're guys who you imagine should be able to take that mantle and, and, and run with it. But, you know, a lot of uncertainty still. I would I would pick them in the top three or four. I don't couldn't tell you enough about LSU's too deep or, or Alabama's, you know, they're starting uh, I don't know, three technique next year uh, off the top of my head. <laughs> but uh you know, there, there, are, there are there are a lot of questions that I, that I still have about Ohio State that, that remain unanswered that maybe in those way-too-early um, top 25s, other people aren't looking at Ohio State and wondering how they're going to replace Devon Hamilton. But, like, since we think about Devon Hamilton every single day and we have for the past four months, <laughs> I, that's what I'm thinking of.
0: You're just trying to make me mad saying way-too-early, aren't you?
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm going to say it again.
0: I agree with you, though. I think Ohio State is going to be ranked in the top two, probably should be ranked in the top two, but there are a lot of question marks to answer. And the, the reality is, because you have Justin Fields coming back, everybody's going to expect you to be one of the best teams in college football. And after what you accomplished this past season, getting to the college Ball playoff, coming a play away from beating Clemson, there's no question what the expectation is going to be in year two for Ryan Day, and that's national championship or bust. People,
1: people really believe in Justin Fields and Ryan Day, and now that they're both coming back they for should. a year or two, I just think nationally there's going to be a lot of hype around them, and there should, there should.
0: But it's 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 a lot of hype to live up to. Yeah. And and we're going to be talking about that hype for the next eight months, so uh, that's what you'll be listening to us uh, hype them up and maybe throw some water on the hype where it's necessary as well. Good question to finish up on. Silver Sniper asks what's going to be the final score he said successfully predict we'll see how successful we are successfully predict the final score of a national championship game and the game's mvp colin (laughs) um can i just pander here and say joe burrow 41 38 i'm gonna go clemson 38 35 trevor lawrence will be the game mvp
1: Picking the quarterback, is you're never really, going to go wrong. I'm
0: guessing Collins' pick is probably more popular because I would imagine that most <laughs> of you are probably rooting for Joe Burrow to beat Clemson. I think it's going to be a great game either way. Ohio State's not going to be in that game, and I know that a lot of you are still reeling from that. I'm, I'm sure some of you won't even watch because it will be too painful. We will be watching, though, and I'm sure you guys will remind us which one of us got our prediction wrong
1: our way too early prediction
0: (laughs) no this is actually correctly timed prediction next next week next week i'll get my ranted about way too early and we'll talk some more about whatever you guys want to talk about let us know if there's anything that you guys want us to talk about i'm sure there'll be some more news to talk about actually while we were recording here ohio state just got another commitment from a 2021 defensive back jalen johnson so We'll have to talk some recruiting here, have our guys at Carpenter on here soon as well. And we'll do some outside-the-box stuff too. I think coming up here, we might look back a little bit at some of the, the past decade in Ohio State sports. That's something we're going to be doing on 11 Warriors. So probably something we'll incorporate here into this podcast as well. So lots of stuff to talk about. Thank you guys for uh, continuing to listen with us here in the offseason. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next week.